This is Recognize, a podcast about the NHL's black and biracial hockey heroes, proudly supported by eBay Canada. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spare change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. Sean Bell was born in Edmonton in 1985. He's played 20 games in the NHL for the Minnesota Wild, Montreal Canadiens, Edmonton Oilers, Colorado Avalanche, as well as a career in Europe. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, it's uh, it's a pleasure. So I just want to start out. We're going to show you this. I just took a picture of the card set behind me. If you can see, yeah, it's your rookie card with a Minnesota Wild. Nice. So uh, I, I want to ask you sort of what comes to mind when you see that. And I, and I actually got one that was signed. <laughs> oh, that's too. awesome. <laughs> <Pretty special. laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's pretty special. Um, you know, it feels like a, a lifetime ago now, but... Um, you know, it's definitely special. You know, kids in Canada, you know, I mean, even USA now, they, they dream about uh, playing in the National Hockey League at some point. And um, I was able to to realize kind of a dream and, you know, to have some, some cards and some collectibles that, um, you know, kind of keepsakes as to, you know, my previous life, so to speak. Uh, I find it's pretty special. Yeah, just so the listeners know, that was 2006 when you uh, first went on the ice with the Minnesota Wild. So, yeah. do you remember where that photo was taken? What's it that? Was, yeah. Do you remember where the the photo was taken from the rookie card? Uh, I don't know. I think they they might have got that one on the ice. Um, okay. Because I don't remember taking anything, so that would have been definitely yeah. on the ice and, and warm ups. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I don't see anything else behind you, but. Uh, but uh, was was white still worn at home back then? Do you remember? Um, white to the darks. No, they were they were in the darks uh, in Minnesota. Okay. We were wearing those red and greens at home. Okay. Um, and then so this must have been somewhere on the road, maybe yeah. Edmonton, maybe Calgary, one of those places. Okay. Yeah. So something we were discussing with our uh, our guest last night was talking about the signing of cards. So have you? Do you actually receive cards in the mail from time to time that you sign for collectors? Um, I, I would say every now and then I, I do receive a few. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's rare now for for a guy that's been out of out of the game for about ten years to to get cards still. But from time to time they pop up, and and honestly, you know, for me, I, I'm so busy with other things that I honestly forget to sign some of them. Uh, then I go back like a month later, I check my mail, I'm like, oh, I forgot to sign this. So um, I try to get as many out as I possibly can if they do come in. And uh, some yeah. days I do forget. Yeah, well, you know, it's quite an honor, I guess, when you do uh, receive uh, a request, right? Because uh, your career was a while ago, but it's just must be, it must be special to have people still reach out. Yeah, 100% uh, it is. It's, uh, it, it's super special. It's um you know, it, sometimes it feels like, you know, you, you did something good in the game and, and that's partly why people are still reaching out or, or you're at least trying to make an impact. And, um, you know, that's kind of where my career has gone is, is trying to make an impact in, in hockey for, for some of the younger kids. Yeah. 
So you were born in 1985, so it means that you would have been playing hockey as a young uh, child in the late 80s and early 90s. And and did, did you remember collecting cards? Because cards were a, a thing at that point in time as well. Yeah, I collected cards. Um, I did some OPG back in the day. I did some Upper Deck. I, I think Upper Deck were the, the big ones. And then obviously, you know, like Tim Hortons had their their card set that would come out and McDonald's at that time would have the same thing. So, you know, guys were always seeing the schoolyard trying to trade cards and seeing which guys they could get. And, and they're always trying to collect that full set. So um, I definitely collected cards. Actually, a good buddy of mine, um, he moved out of out of the city of Edmonton and he moved to Victoria and he actually has his, he left some stuff here at my place to, for, to store. And I actually went through his box the other day and he has a ton of cards. So uh, okay. I might have to run through some of those things, see if there's any clock yeah. in there. Yeah. There might be a Wayne Gretzky in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk about your uh, early beginnings then. So um, I have on record here, you're born in Edmonton. So did you grow up in Edmonton? Can you tell us what it was like growing up there and what it was like in the household and your childhood? Yeah, born and raised in Edmonton. It, uh, you know, it was fine. It was a decent childhood. I mean, um, you know, I tried playing hockey. I played multiple different sports. It was, uh, you know, Edmonton's a, it's a good community. Um you know, obviously it's northern Alberta, so it's cold all the time. But uh, no, it, it's a good community, and it was, you know, I have still a lot of friends around, um, a lot of people that I was able to grow up with. Uh, they kind of resurface now because we're all the same age, and you got kids, and you start going to certain places, and you're like, oh man, I haven't seen you in 15, 20 years, and um, that actually happened the other day when I was playing uh, men's league. So, um, you know, we we definitely. People try to keep in touch, um, but you know, from from a childhood childhood standpoint, uh, things were good in Edmonton. It uh, nothing too crazy. Yeah, and for listeners to know, Edmonton at that time, the late eighties, was still uh, quite a hotbed for sport because you had the emergence of the uh, Edmonton Oilers and Wayne Gretzky and Grant Fuhr and Mark Messier in the uh, well, most of the decade, really starting the early eighties, and then. And then for football fans, Edmonton Eskimos were still a bit of a factor as well. So do you have memories watching both of those those teams and looking up to those stars? To be very honest with you, I don't remember much of the the run with the Edmonton Oilers in the in the early eighties or the late eighties. Um my, my dad was a Montreal fan. Um, so we watched more Montreal games than anything. Um, but I do know like the city was electric at all times. You know, they yeah. were they were such a popular team. They were dynasty at that point in time. Um, yeah. you know, so it, it was good to see and you knew something special was going on, even though you were still fairly young. Yeah. Um You're pretty young kid. In, in terms of the Eskimos, like, you know, I was able to get to quite a few Eskimo games. Um, you know, they were a lot of fun games. It was a very, very family atmosphere and um, it was nice to, to be able to go to that. And, you know, they, they were dubbed the city of champions for a reason because you had, you know, your two big sports franchises, uh, consistently being at a championship level. So it was, uh, it was good times in Edmonton. Yeah. And there is that sign I'm told in Edmonton that says city of champions, right? So that's... yeah, it's, it's gone now, but, um, <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, they, I think the mayor and city council lobbied to get rid of it uh, a couple years oh. back, which was disappointing, but oh, um, it was understandable because there wasn't any championships in Edmonton at the time. Yeah. Okay. 
So when did you first start skating and how did you learn to skate and who supported you? Uh, I started playing or started skating when I was like five or six. Um, my dad started teaching me how to skate. He'd take me out to like, you know, public skating and just getting me on the ice because he didn't want me playing hockey before I knew how to skate and being one of the kids that was falling all over the ice. He, he just said he didn't want that to happen. So, um, you know, we'd go to the outdoor rink, we'd go to, um, you know, drop in hockey or we'd go into public skating and we just consistently learn how to skate. And then from there, I went into a bunch of different, uh, different skating camps. Uh, Steve Serdakny was big out here at that time. Uh, Stephanie Hanlon with Quantum Speed was big at that time. So uh, I did a bunch of those and just really tried to refine my craft. So as a professional, you were a defenseman. Did you always start in that that position uh, as a young player? Uh, I, I, I fluctuated between forward, um, goaltender, defense. I, I kind of played all the positions. Um you know, I think at that time it was easy to – everybody kind of got a turn to be the goaltender and stuff like that. Didn't really care for that position. I I, I wanted to be a forward. Um, so I'd played, and then there was one game where they needed me on defense and haven't changed since. Yeah. So, um, Sean, did you just um, know that you were good at day one? Like, were you someone that automatically, after you learned skating – um, played on a triple A team all the way through or tell, tell us about your journey in terms of your success in hockey at younger age. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't, uh, explode onto the scene. I, I played, you know, div two, div three as a younger age kid. Um, still trying to na- navigate my way through hockey, obviously trying to learn how to skate, become refining my, my stride, stuff like that, refining my skill set. Um, it wasn't probably until Pee Wee, uh, maybe Adam, that I started becoming, you know, a little bit better of a player, ended up making the brick team. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of went from there. Um, I ended up playing. So, for, draft, those, yeah, so for those who don't know. Yeah, for those who don't know, tell us about the brick team, because I only heard about that in, in recent years. Yeah, like the team brick is uh, at that time was just a, an Edmonton all-star team. Um, so, you know, some like Dion Phaneuf was on our team at the time. Uh, I think, uh, Kevin Dew who graduated from Brown university. Um, so there were some good players. So it was a local tournament. It was a smaller tournament. Um, but it's really, it's exploded to the point where, you know, you've got teams from all over North America that are coming to Edmonton in, you know, mid June, um, early July, and it's one of the biggest tournaments uh, around at the at the U11 level, um, and it's star studded. They actually, when you go down towards the dress rooms, they have a wall where every player that's ever played professional hockey or even in the NHL in this wall is just littered with players. So it's uh, it's a pretty special tournament for sure. That's pretty impressive. So there's a tournament, but there's also a brick team and based out of Edmonton. Yeah, so the brick team now is is based is based off of Alberta because they wanted to give themselves an opportunity to be able to compete. Um, because if it was just Edmonton, they would get uh, they would get beat pretty handedly uh, year after year. So they kind of revamped the program. They became Team Brick Alberta, and now they oh. they have tryouts you know, right at the end of the season. So like March, 
Uh, I think there's like three or four rounds, and then they make their team, and then they go to this tournament. They go. That's the the final tournament. Then there's you know a couple other smaller ones throughout the the spring. Yeah. So we talk about accessibility in hockey um, tends to generally be uh, you know middle class and upward sport. What was that challenging for you, or what was did your family background allow you to access? rep hockey and you talk about this brick experience were these things accessible to you yeah they were accessible i mean my parents weren't well off by any stretch of the imagination um you know they worked hard they honest hard workers and um they tried to afford every opportunity that i possibly could um i wouldn't sit here and say it was easy um because it definitely wasn't and and there was times where you never knew if you were going to play or not so um you know, we, they worked hard. They, they afforded me that opportunity. I thank them for it big time. Um, but at the same time, hockey back then was considerably cheaper than what it is now. Um, so from an accessibility standpoint, uh, I found that there is a better opportunity to play the sport. Um, you know, fast forwarding to 2023, like I don't think I would have been able to play hockey if it was today because of how expensive the sport has gotten. Yeah, I wonder about that because I heard about that program and it sounded like back then that there'd be a bit of a premium, but uh, sports generally weren't officially year-round. Hockey wasn't actually year-round back then, and the tournaments you go to now are probably pretty expensive, the extra training, so it's probably a different reality right now. 100% it is. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. I mean, here in Western Canada, we have um, we have all of our academies out here, and, and academies range from – you know, let's call it $20,000 to almost $60,000. So um, they've changed the, they've changed the game for the better in the sense that there's better development. Players are coming out of minor hockey, more polished. Um, They're at a a much more accelerated um, development. Well, I guess from a development standpoint, they're more accelerated. Um, You know, they're more physically mature because they're working out more often, but at the same time, it's, You've got parents that are taking out second mortgages or taking out loans just so they can go here. And it's been that, you know, everybody's getting tricked. You have to go there to get drafted and, and blah, blah, blah. So it's uh, it's a bit painful when it comes to that. Um, but I know that, you know, it's it's not ac- accessible anymore, um, unfortunately. So, yeah, hope, hopefully there's, there's uh, a bit of a correction coming at play in some way in terms of people trying to broaden the opportunities for, for players. But you're right. On one hand, players be much more developed and refined, but it's probably come at a bit of a cost in terms of not having full access. So you talked about your dad being a Montreal uh, fan. You're not the first guest that's, that's being said. Um, did, did you have favorite players when you were younger? Were they kind of exclusively Montreal Canadians then? Or did you have other uh, hockey players you looked up to? No, I, I, I liked... Um... I liked Ray Bork. I liked Paul Coffey. Uh, Rob Blake was uh, a defenseman that I thought was really good. Uh, I kind of just, I, I more appreciated the players and the, and the sport for what it was, as opposed to, you know, fixating on one or two guys. Um, I've never been a person that just fixate, fixates on, you know, one person or two people and be like, okay, these are the best. Like, there's a lot of good hockey players out there. And and I always figured that, you know, maybe if I could have a little bit of pieces of all these guys, you know, then you could be this player as opposed to here's just the one, right? So uh, I really loved the way that Paul 
Paul Coffey skated. Um, he was an elite offensive defenseman. Thought Ray Bork was fantastic player as well. You know, and then Rob Blake, he was he was a shutdown D-man who could, you know, put up some big points. And and he was, uh, you know, a thunderous hitter too. So it was, uh, there was a lot of good elements from a lot of different players uh, across the league. So then you um, progressed through the um, rep hockey system at various levels. And then um, according to your stat- statistics here, it says that you joined the Regina Pats in 2001 for four games. And then you evolved to have a career with Tri-City Americans, which in, is in the, uh, the U.S., but part of the Western Hockey League from 2000 to 2004. Tell, tell us, were you, were you drafted the Regina Pats? Um, just um, run us through your experience in terms of getting to that stage. Yeah, I was, uh, I was drafted by the Regina Pats, 10th uh, overall in the, in the WHL draft. And um, unfortunately for me, the Regina Pats were hosting the Memorial Cup the next year, so they needed to load up. And what they um, essentially did was trade all their their young prospects for seasoned veteran players and um, some high end players. So I got uh, I got the opportunity to play in Tri City when Barrett Jackman was off to the World Juniors. Um, so I came in, I, I filled in for four games, um, had a great time in Regina. And then shortly after that, got traded to the Tri-City Americans in a deal that uh, that sent me and I believe it was uh, Brennan, not Brennan Evans, but uh, something Evans. And for Justin LeCision and Jeff Feniak and a couple other players. So um, it was a massive deal. And that's how I ended up in Tri-City. So hockey is one of the a unique sport where, where um, players, young people at 15, 16 years old go off another city. So you're in Edmonton. You moved down to, I guess, the uh, state of Washington. What was that whole experience like going to Tri-City and I imagine living with a billet family? Or- it was uh, it was different for sure. Um, obviously, in Edmonton, it's a very different climate, very different attitude. You know, it's very blue collar. Um, we went down to Tri-City and, um, you know, we get kind of through the Idaho, you're, you're going down through Coeur d'Alene into Spokane. And then once you kind of get out of Spokane, all of a sudden it goes from, you know, mountainous hills, lakes to desert. And you don't really see anything. You're seeing tumbleweeds flying by and, um, you know, we, we're driving and we're driving and we're driving and we don't see anything, but it says on the map that we're getting close. And then all of a sudden, boom, this little this little community pops up in the middle of the desert and here's Tri-City. And, you know, I, I, I had a fantastic four years there. I honestly couldn't complain. I, I had two different sets of billets. Um, you know, my first billet family that I lived with, uh, it, it didn't work out, unfortunately. Um, but then I ended up moving to another, another family that was, uh, that was a fantastic family. And, and to the point where we're still, um, friends to this day and we still talk when we can. So, uh, it, it was a good, it was a good time, but, uh, definitely a different culture. It, it was good times and it was, it definitely opened up your eyes to, you know, the differences in, in different regions throughout you know, North America and stuff like that. So I, I, I truly enjoyed my time there. People talk about exchange experiences and all that. And when you're removed from what you're used to, 
and have a whole different learning at such an impressionable age, it must have uh, quite an impact. Yeah, it's it's hard, but it, I mean, it opens your eyes to, you know, I guess other people's realities. And, you know, you're living in, in Edmonton, it's one thing, it's cold all, uh, for eight months of the year, and then you go to another place and it barely sees snow. And so it just gives you a different perspective on, on how people are living and uh, you get to see the world, which, you know, essentially cultures you a little bit more and, and it uh it helps mature you because you're you're now used to different scenarios and different um situations and you just you know you're able to adapt quicker tell us about the highlights of your career at tri-city because you 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 are part of uh four or five seasons solid numbers for a defenseman you know you're playing uh 64 66 655 62 games a season so you're a regular starter you mentioned your uh a high pick for the Western Hockey League, 10th overall. So tell us about the highlights for yourself individually and also about um, the accomplishments for the team, like whether you went to the Memorial Cup or close to it. or Yeah, it was, um, you know, Tri-City was just up and down. We we had good teams. We were consistently rebuilding. Um, we had different ownership groups. We, we were kind of all over the map, to be very honest with you. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, I, my numbers weren't complete 72 game seasons because I missed a lot of time for the world juniors. I missed a lot of time for the U18s. Um, so different things, some of the, uh, you know, different opportunities that the WHL had. So there was a WHL cup, um, which was, you took like an all-star team from, from the WHL and you played against the Russians, um, leading up to the world junior. So I missed some time for that. Um, so, you know, like my, my junior career, some of the highlights obviously were um, representing team Canada for different occasions, um, being part of the CHL top prospects game, um, being the fastest skater at that prospects game. Um, you know, obviously getting drafted in the first round Um winning I was part of team Pacific we got silver there so there was quite a few things that that honestly stood out for me there but in terms of like Tri-City I I think we're what I'm most proud of is the fact that by the time I left we were able to turn that program around from being kind of a a middling franchise one that had ownership wanting to move every single year to a very stable franchise and one that's been um, a pretty successful one for the most part um uh, over the last, you know, 20 yeah. years. Okay. And, you know, growing up in Edmonton when you did in the uh, the 90s, were you around m- much diversity of racialized players um, growing up? And did you see many other players from different backgrounds um, and, and as well at, at the Western Hockey League level? No, there wasn't a whole lot. Um, growing up in Edmonton, this is um, primarily a, a white community. Um, so, you know, there's, you didn't see a whole lot of players of color or BIPOC players playing, you know, there's a few guys that were, were Aboriginal or Native American. Um, they were on some of the teams, but for the most part, like it was, you know, maybe one black kid, myself on one team, um, one, you know, Asian kid on another team. Um, so that's what you'd kind of see and that's what you got used to and, um, that's what it was growing up in minor hockey. And then when it got to the Western Hockey League, same thing. It was, uh, it was pretty rare 
to to have a BIPOC player um, playing in the league. I think I would have been a handful, maybe 10 players throughout most of my uh, Western Hockey League career. And um, once again, I, I, I do think that, you know, the guys that were in Western Hockey League, the CHL, or the QMJHL and the OHL, like a, a lot of guys were, were pioneers because all of a sudden that's when like t- games were getting more accessible on TV and more and more kids are able to, to see, you know, this person's like me. And I do think there was a boom shortly after um, of BIPOC, BIPOC players, which is obviously nice to see. Yeah. And you talked about the bond of the friends that you had, which mostly largely would be would be white. Then would you describe your overall experience? Um, how would you describe your experience with racism or not um, growing up through those years before you became a professional? Um, I, I would say in minor hockey, there may have been like two or three times um, that something did happen. And, and it usually was dealt with for the most part. Um, you know, in, in the Western Hockey League, I probably had maybe two or three as well. Um, those were a little bit different scenarios, obviously, um, where they dealt with the way that they should have been. I, I don't think so. Um, however, I do think that the the people that were involved were, I think there was some genuine concern to it. Um, but I, I don't think it would be the same as what it would be right now. Um you know, and there's always a worry that stuff will, will always happen. So it's, you know, I was fairly fortunate where there wasn't a lot of stuff said to me. And, and I think part of it was because I was a bigger kid um, and people didn't really want to go down that path. Um, and maybe there was stuff said behind my back. I don't really know. But at the end of the day, you know, for the most part, it was uh, it was OK because I had a really close support group and I had a really good close friend group that. Uh, we all kind of cared about each other. Yeah. And that's nice to hear that, um, you know, not that opponents should be given a pass, but internally like your own teammates and people that, you know, impact and influence you as a coaches were, were uh, always on your side. Um, so then you, uh, you get drafted in NHL once again, very high pick first round 30th overall um, quite achievement. Um, did, did you, do you and your family attend the draft and, um, or, or you talked about a lot of success you had through the under 18, 17, 18 junior team. So it, it probably wasn't a surprise that your draft so high, or we expect to go even higher. Um, to be honest, initially I was supposed to go higher. I, I had an awful hockey season um, that year in Tri-City. We were not good at all. And I think it definitely affected um, some draft stock for sure. I, I was ranked, um, 17th to 42nd. So we actually had no idea where we were going to go. Um, St. Louis did a fly down before the draft with about 10 prospects. Um, they put us through a battery of tests, um, you know, on the ice, off the ice. Um, they wanted to kind of get to know people. And, and I had a strong feeling St. Louis might do something. Um, but once we got to the draft, Washington had a last minute meeting with us um, the day of the draft. And then we also thought Edmonton was going to do something. So um, we really had no idea to be honest with you. Um, So it was nice to be able to get taken in the first round. Um, You know, it was a, it was a good accomplishment. Um, I was happy with that. And and obviously it was, 
you know, a rarity, I guess, at that point, because even Anthony Stewart, who was another player, a uh, black player, um, he was drafted in the first round as well. So we actually had two of us at the, uh, at the draft. And then Nigel Dawes was drafted a little bit later in that same draft. Okay. So, yeah. um, that part was really nice to see. Um, and it was pretty special and it's near and dear to my heart. If you're enjoying Recognize and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay. eBay is all about connecting communities and feeling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. Quite a milestone. So, uh, yeah, very proud moment. And where did it take take place? Did you have any family members and and uh, yeah? Did... So we were we were in Nashville, um, Tennessee. So my family was able to go. My agent at the time, uh, my billets actually attended, and then I didn't even know that we had family um, in that area. And um, they ended up coming, and they were sitting not in the family section, but just often in the fan section. So uh, it was good. There was a lot of support. Um, it was really cool to see. Okay. So then uh, fast forward then, and you arrive at your first NHL game. Obviously there's, there's a progression to get to that and everything, but you, you land and play your first NHL game in 2006 with the Minnesota wild. So tell us what uh, that feeling was like. Yeah, that was pretty surreal. Um, You know, it was a long kind of road. I, I was actually, I was drafted by St. Louis before I even completed a full season. I was traded to uh, the Dallas Stars organization. Um, by the time I turned pro um, at the trade deadline, I got traded again to Minnesota. Um, why those trades happened, I, I still don't know to this day. Um, but I knew that set me back big time because more often than not, if you're with that organization, you get more opportunity. However, we fast forward and, and you go to Minnesota and I'm playing there. Um, it, it's a really cool feeling. I was playing in Houston at the time and um, I'll never forget it. Cause myself and Joel Ward were, were roommates at the time. And I got the call and, you know, I looked over at world and I said, I, I think I'm getting called up. And uh, you know, it was a couple uh, high fives and, and a hug. And um, I ended up going up um, playing flying out the next morning and playing that game. And it's just, it gives you goosebumps because obviously playing in the minors is one thing, playing in some of the international things is another thing, but you know, you've kind of finally realized your dream and you you play in the, in the NHL and this is what everybody wants. And um, it was a pretty special moment. And it's one that I, I won't, uh, won't forget anytime soon. Do you remember um, where the game was played and who you're playing against? Do you? Remember that, that? Yeah, one? it was against uh, it was against Detroit. I actually have uh, uh, a couple of the pucks right here. So well, that's nice. My first NHL game puck right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah against Detroit. So okay. pretty uh, pretty cool moment right there. So um, yeah, yeah, we got those keepsakes and we just gotta lock them away. And um, okay. yeah, it was it was a really special time. Yeah. 
So nine games that season, anything jump out at you in terms of uh, players you were playing with or against that uh, you still remember as highlights or? Uh, just, uh... <laughs> uh, there was a few, there was definitely a few highlights. There's a few lowlights uh, and everything in between. Um, you know, Mario Trombley was our defensive coach and he was definitely an old school guy. Um, you know, I, I remember playing against Detroit, Chicago, uh, Martin Havlat was kind of the big guy on on that team in Chicago at the time. We played against Calgary, played against Edmonton. Um, I got a, a season low of a minute and 45 seconds against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, still in a plus one, yeah. which was nice. Uh, um, but then I all of a sudden turned around the next game and playing 19 minutes and, you know, going out against Havlat and trying to be one of the shutdown guys and, and getting, you know, premier stuff. So, it was all, it was kind of all over the place. Um, it, it was good. It was, um, it was a fun, it was a fun time. And it was, it was an interesting time to, to say the least. Sure. So, so listeners know then your, your pro career, including uh, leagues other than NHL, basically goes from, uh, you know, 2005 until when you retired, 2014, I believe. So you, you spent some time. Um, just prior to Minnesota, as you mentioned, with Iowa, Houston, then you play for Minnesota, then uh, Houston Arrows, and I, I live nearby, Hamilton Bulldogs, I'm familiar with uh, that organization. Then you join the Montreal Canadiens and Oakland City Barons, then off to Edmonton, the Lake Erie Monsters, out by Cleveland, I imagine, then Colorado Avalanche, and then you finish up a number of years in Europe. So really, really lengthy career. I'm sure, um, I'm sure you'd Love to say things would go differently in terms of NHL, but but then nonetheless, it's it's never never an easy league for anyone to say that the that they've settled in. So, um, yeah, just maybe take us through the the journey of the the remaining years, and then what life was like after that, and your decision to go to Europe. Yeah, it was um, it was different. Like I, I don't really know where to go with it because at the same time, like you know, I, I was afforded opportunities to play. Um, I do think that there was some, you know, things that stagnated kind of, uh, my career and, and who I was, you know, when I, when I entered pro, I was more of a puck moving, um, you know, offensive guy. My numbers were really good in junior. I, I, I think I hit double digit goals my last year. Um, you know, I, I had all that stuff and then got the pro and it was by that point, by the time I hit my third year, I believe I had three or four different coaches. And, and I think for, for young guys, it's hard because now you're adjusting to all the different voices. It's okay. Well, I want you to play this way. And then I want you to play this way or, okay, go back to what you used to do. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, no, now you're not rushing the puck anymore. And, you know, I think that that hurts your game and, and it stagnates young players because at the end of the day, I was a first rounder because of the the ability that I had to move pucks and to skate my way to problems and, and to do some of those things. So, um, you know, I bounced around a little bit. Uh, I got traded a few times. Uh, I ended up obviously in Colorado my last year. And, um, you know, I, I was proud to say that, you know, most of the teams that I did played on were were really good teams, especially in the minors. And you know, some of them were first ever's. Um, so when I was in Lake Erie, it was the first ever time that they made the the finals as the Lake Erie Monsters, or make the playoffs rather as Lake Erie Monsters. And 
you know, so I, I felt that there's some really good pieces there and, and good moments. Um, and then, yeah, I just, you know, I was, the decision to go to Europe was not an easy one by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I remember sitting in a rink here with a couple other guys and we we're skating and we didn't have places to go. And my agent called and said, do you want to try Europe for a year? And I just said, sure. Um, I want to play. I still enjoy the sport. And uh, I ended up going to Europe and, and having honestly two years of, of unbelievable hockey in Mannheim. Um, I honestly thought it kind of rekindled my love for the sport. Um, you know, it's hard getting bounced up and down, up and down, up and down, being all over the place, not knowing where you're going to be. Um, you know, I, I'm super honest about my career. I could probably tell you, you know, how I felt in certain spots. And, you know, it, it was tough not being, I guess, in the NHL in Colorado, because in, in that was one of the spots I really thought I did earn it. Um but yeah, I ended up in Europe and it, it rekindled kind of my love for the sport. And um, I'm very thankful for my years in Europe because, uh, you know, people get jaded and uh, I thought it kind of brought it all back. You're not the first uh, person we've interviewed, obviously, who's finished off had a really successful and positive experience in Europe. Was, was the grind less in Europe? Was it the joy of hockey, compensation? comparable to the HL or better and just the other aspects that the experience affords you? Yeah. The, the compensation is nowhere near what, you know, what the NHL is. And I, I no, think the only but, one really that you'll get close to it is Russia, but okay. you know, going to Russia is a whole nother count of worms. Uh, um, right. But, but, better, yeah, but better than the HL, but is the compensation um, better than the HL? Or yeah, it was better than the AHL at the time. And since then, the AHL has changed its rules and, you know, on um, veteran players and different stuff like that. But, you know, I, I just found Europe was it was a very family environment. Um, my dad was able to come down a few times. My mom was there, um, you know, and we just enjoyed it. Uh, I, I lived about. 30 steps from this Italian restaurant and I, I actually became really good friends with the owner and their family. And it's like Saturdays they would have a family dinner and they would invite me over because they knew I didn't have anybody, you know, close. And, you know, you just make those little bonds and they, they make the world a difference. And, you know, it's, it's just really good people. And I actually remember one of my buddies came to visit me and, and we were just finishing up and, um, you know, our team had a, a get together and they're like, Hey, the, the dinner portion is just for the team. And so that, that same family, uh, they brought my buddy who they didn't even know. And he was able to go to family dinner. And it's just like little things like that, that really make the world a difference. And, um, you know, that, that part there really opened it up, I guess, and said, okay, well, look, this is a really special place and uh, it's a really cool place. And they actually care about people. And, and at the same time, um, Mannheim was a good hockey team, and they and they have a building that's about fifteen thousand. Um, we sold out every single game. We were one of the best teams in the league. We actually lost in the finals the first year. Um, we played against the Buffalo Sabers. We were at the Spangler Cup. Um, so a lot of things that uh, you don't normally get to do, um, we were able to do. So it was uh, it was a special time. 
Yeah, thanks for sharing that because I, I often wondered about the attendance and, and that probably lends itself to replicating the experience in the NHL if you're having 15,000 people watching it. Yeah, there's a there's a few spots like Berlin, you know, there are probably, I think, 16,000, maybe 13 to 16,000. Uh, Cologne was the most at 18. Um, you know, a lot of there's like four or five teams within Germany that consistently were at the top uh, attended games in, in all of Europe. So uh, that was really cool. But even the smaller buildings like a Straubing or an Ingolstadt, um, even Krefeld, like all these buildings, every single time you go into them, like people are chanting, singing, dancing. They don't stop. They're, they're enjoying the sports. Like they just, they, they love it. And that's the stuff that you don't see here. Like in Edmonton, I laugh a little bit because I like to call the plate like Rogers Rogers place the, the library because the only time other fans go crazy is when there's a, there's a goal, there's a fight or there's a hit. But outside of that, like it's sometimes if the Oilers aren't playing well, like you can hear a pin drop in this place. You just got me thinking about the experience that people see in soccer. It seems like a merging of the, the soccer fans uh, and the culture coming out in hockey. 100%. And it's, 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 it's almost impossible not to get up for a game because you know that they're going to provide so much energy and you, your body can feel awful. But the minute you open, you jump onto that ice and you see flags everywhere, like there's points where they do choreography and it's like all these fans are putting stuff together to create like this mural. And you're just like, man, that is unbelievable. And they're singing and flares are going off and it's like drums are going. How can you not be ready for this game? And so it just, you know, you're always ready. You're always you know, wanting to to do well for the fans. And, um, you know, I, I think I actually became a fan favorite there and to the point where I think I won an award for like second place in, in the fan voting for, you know, fan favorites. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic place. Yeah, that's a great, great to share that experience. So, so on that note about making the game more inclusive, what you just described about the Edmonton and we talked about hockey being traditional. Um, it, it sounds like there's room for hockey, not only the players, but the fans have a little bit more, more fun, but maybe the, the culture hasn't allowed for it. Yeah, I, I would, I would say that for sure. I, I love hockey. It's, it's afforded me basically everything that I, that I have. So I'm not going to sit here on a soapbox and, and rip the sport to shreds, but at the same time, I do think there's got to be some progressiveness to this sport. And I think there's got to be ways to find it more accessible for everyone. And, and we touched on it a little bit earlier um, where it was like it's just too expensive. And so, you know, it's be, almost become an elitist sport um, to the point where, you know, and I'm only going to speak to Edmonton because I know this. And it's the northeast portion of the city of Edmonton is where a lot of the new immigrants come to to Edmonton and they they live in that area. Yeah. And so the registration numbers in Edmonton as a whole are significantly down because almost the entire northeast portion of our city doesn't play hockey. But at the same time, I'm sure they love it. But we don't have any opportunities to go out there and say okay, well here's you know, here's a bunch of equipment. How can we help you with registration fees? How can we do things to to get you involved in the sport? You don't necessarily need to play just hockey. What happens if you want to be the next GM? 
What happens if you want to be the next best uh, agent in the city? What happens if you want to be the next sportscaster? All those things are factors and that would help make hockey more progressive. And unfortunately, we don't necessarily do that as a whole here in Edmonton. I know that Anthony Stewart's doing that in Toronto. Um, and I know the HDA is doing that out in Toronto as well. But that's something that obviously, you know, myself and Anthony have talked about trying to do out here in Edmonton as well. So, Yeah, point. A point well made about just, I think a lot of us reflect upon just having that access to the game, um, whether you're an immigrant or not. And, and something's changed over time. Whereas the, the, the person that, uh, whoever you are is, uh, is an athlete and does multiple sports over time. The, the range of sports that the, the average person can play is being really limited. And unfortunately, you know, other sports are to blame for this as well, but there's a there's a specialization that occurs that really limits kids from accessing a number of different experiences till they really feel, oh, this might be my sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one one thousand percent. So it's yeah. um, you know, basketball's grown tremendously in Canada. Soccer's grown tremendously in Canada. Obviously, you can see, you know, based on how the the men's basketball team has done recently. Um, how obviously the Canadian teams have done recently in soccer. Um, so obviously those things are are growing in Canada, which is fantastic to see because you want it to be, you know, a place where we excel in sport. Yeah. But at the same time, it's, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sure. And I also wanted to say the point you mentioned earlier, it's important to mention too, that the fan base of people, um, you may not even be a player, but even that, that contributes to the longevity of minor hockey, junior hockey, Pro hockey, people eyes on watching the game, whether it's on TV or or at the arena. So all these are important. Yeah, it's, that's very right. It's it's you know it's it's the ability for for young kids um, to see and say I can do that too. And a lot of times, you know, it's we're sitting here and it's you know not you don't always see BIPOC people on TV. You don't always see BIPOC you know, agents, you don't always see BIPOC uh, GMs, you don't always see BIPOC head coaches. And that's starting to change a little bit. Obviously, Mike Greer's in San Jose. Uh, Tony Brar does a good job with the Oilers TV. Um, you know, it, it's slowly, slowly starting to change and you want to see that. But at the same time, like, we've got to try to push this thing forward and we've got to try to really, truly make make it hockey is for everyone. That's the slogan that the NHL uses. And there's days where I say, you know what? I, I do truly think that we are trying to make hockey for everyone. But then there's other days that I say, well, I don't think that's remotely true because, you know, people sit there and they talk and they talk and they talk. We want change. We want change or change. But who's actually going out there and facilitating this change? Yeah. And I think that's probably a bigger factor than anything about why hockey is not as progressive as other sports. Yeah, very true. So have you kept in touch with former uh, teammates you played played with? Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, I actually started um, a, a show called Hello Hockey. Um, myself and Tom Gazzola are, are co-hosts on this show. Um, you know, it kind of takes you around the hockey world. It's not... It's not a particular NHL show or a particular um, Oilers show because we're in Edmonton. This is a show that, you know, it literally talks about what's happening behind the scenes in the NHL. Um, it talks about, 
you know, what's going on in the world of hockey. So we've touched on European stuff. We've touched on the minors. We've touched on minor hockey. Um, we've, we literally go to every length of the hockey world. And, you know, it's been able to, it's been nice because it's, we've been able to reconnect with guys that we haven't seen in a long time. So, you know, in the first couple episodes of our show, we had Carrie Price, um, who was a teammate of mine. Um, we've had Shane Doan, who's captain of the Phoenix Coyotes, Brian Burke, who at the time was the, the president uh, of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's not anymore, but he was my owner in Tri-City. Um, you know, so we've had some really good guests and, and it's been able to re- kind of rekindle, you know, those friendships that uh, we were able to form long ago. Oh, that sounds really, really neat. And I found there seems to be uh, quite a bond with the black and biracial players. Some you may not have even played against, well, you probably played against, but then become, you know, respected friends later on because there's some yep. common interests just naturally. So can you speak about that and how that feels? Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I think part of the reason why, you know, guys kind of gravitate to each other is because we all know what we had to go through to get there. And, you know, once again, I, I had a, a good time here in Edmonton. I, I had minimal experiences um, that at least I can remember um, because it was such a good community. And, and there's a lot of guys that come back to this city and they cherish this community, um, you know, but at the same time, that can't be said for other places across North America. So there, there's a bond that grows because I know what you've done. I know what you've had to endure. I know all these different things that, that have happened probably in your past and it's a bond because you made it and I made it and the other guy made it. So, um, it, it's special to see. It's, um, it's awesome to see. And, you know, especially here in Edmonton, um, there's quite a few guys that have retired that are, that are BIPOC and, and we're all pretty much friends. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's neat. And I think many people know that know the Edmonton Oilers that, um, whether intentional or by chance, Historically, and yeah. at very point, many points in time, there are many uh, black and biracial players playing the same team. So I find that really unique. As a young player, you're watching the Edmonton Oilers, and there's like you know five, six guys on a team, and you're just like, "This is crazy." And and the more you think about the Oilers and what they've done, I I think they've had probably the most black players out of any other franchise in the history of the NHL, and. You know, it goes back to, once again, the community and the support that this community has. And, and obviously, I know that there's there's donkeys everywhere. Um, but for the most part, like, this community has been ultra supportive. Yeah, and some would go even further back. If, uh, remember, I mentioned the Edmonton Eskimos earlier and, and think about, you know, one of the celebrated quarterbacks, Warren Moon, who um, couldn't play in the NFL but could play in the CFL ended up winning five great cups with the CFL and then goes on to be successful in Houston and sort of that foundational experience was started in the city of Edmonton. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe just tell us what else you're up to uh, nowadays, what you did in your post hockey life and uh, yeah, uh, post hockey career, obviously, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I just touched on doing uh, some radio. Um, I was on Sportsnet for a bit um, you know, I've been doing, you know, some appearances here and there. I was doing some pre and post game show for the Oilers last season, uh, hoping to expand my role this year. 
Um, I also am a coach and GM for an academy league here, an independent academy league um, in Western Canada here. So my, my group's called HC Edmonton. Um, so we have a U14 team, a U15 team, a U17 and a U18 team. So uh, I'm handling the GM duties of that organization and also coaching the U18 team. So I've got quite a few things on the go. And, and while I'm busy doing all that, uh, I've got a gym um, called Seven Performance that uh, we opened probably about three years ago. Um, and, and this one trains young hockey players. So, uh, I'm fully immersed in the, the hockey world for sure. Yeah. And it's, it must be gratifying to be able to, um, give back. Right. And you still got so many years ahead of you in terms of uh, the things you're doing in the media and also developing and mentoring players and, and being a representative, uh, role model for, for, for all kids. So that's great to see. So I'm just going to wrap up by asking you, um, uh, what advice you'd give to uh, young hockey players today? <laughs> uh, we could go a long time with this. Uh, I think it's, you know, enjoy, enjoy your time as a, as a young hockey player, because I think that it becomes a business before you know it. So enjoy your, enjoy your years and, and really embrace the journey. Um, hockey will take you, all sorts of places if you you fully embrace it but at the same time it's it's hard work and if you truly want it you'll get a, a long you know glorious career out of it and I'm not saying the NHL I'm just saying a long career out of it and it, it can afford you a lot of opportunities um, so you got to make the the biggest impact that you possibly can. Yeah, it's very true and also you know you touched on this earlier about the whole uh, impact of the uh other intangibles that hockey brings to you, um, the lifelong friendships and uh, the meeting with other uh, the other parents and uh, the experiences like you had, you know, with Tri-City in terms of uh, just another experience with that in Europe and all these opportunities that hockey can provide. So Yeah, no, 100%. It's, uh, it's an awesome sport and it can do wonders for you. So thanks for sharing uh, your story with us, uh, Sean. Um Nice to celebrate everything that you did over your career. And uh, I wish you well with all the various initiatives you have on the go. Um, I'll be looking forward to uh, checking in with you in the future. Awesome. So thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. And sorry I couldn't make it last week. Uh, Dean, pleasure. Thank you so much. (laughs) We're proud to be working with Hockey Equality. Hockey Equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey by lowering financial barriers for BIPOC female and other equity deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the stories shared on this podcast and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out hockeyequality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to share this story with your kids, then check out My Hockey Hero. It's shorter and suitable for the whole family. You can click the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Podstarter production. production.